Hello, I'm Jose Aja, and you are listening to the sound of the loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm here with callum on the line callum callum any anytime williams today we're going to be going over minnesota united's last two home games against real salt lake and fc dallas plus looking ahead to the matchup with sporting kansas city our 461st meeting with them, I believe. But first, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout-out to the, rep, the, the presenting partners for our 2020 season. Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross, and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really, really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us throughout this weird and wild season. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, there is no time for goofy questions. There's so much soccer happening right now. I am, um, am overwhelmed by the fact that we haven't done this podcast in a week, and I think we've played eight games since then, it feels like. Who knows? Who knows? Just so many games, Steve. I'm fairly certain yesterday I said uh, we played Real Salt Lake on Wednesday, and it was Sunday, and I just very nearly said on the air, who knows? Like, I have no idea what day it is right now. No, I, no clue. It's like it's this Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. The schedule is is bananas. And then aside from that, there's it feels like there's MLS games happening every other day of the week. Um, I've been trying to get back into fantasy uh, MLS very unsuccessfully, which is MLS is already impossible to predict. And and with the, the season and the schedule the way it is now, it's it's even worse. So I'm just doing horribly, but I can't even remember when the week ends and when it, I'm used to sort of it getting to be Sunday and going, all right, let's wrap this one up and we'll work for the next week. And now it's like, well, the game's wrapped for this week on Tuesday and then there's another game Wednesday. So, um, so nice though, cause we have a lot of soccer, which is the thing. There were no sports going on, you know, a couple months ago. And then I saw a thing today on MLS's uh, Twitter account that, uh, there's gonna, coming up is what they are calling a sports equinox, where every major sport in the U.S. is in action the same day. Like I think, including the PGA and the LPGA and the NFL and MLS and the NBA and all of that. Um, I think that's more of a solstice, personally. Like an equinox would feel like half the teams are, half the sports are playing, and half are not. I think if you have every sport playing, that's sort of like the summer solstice, like the longest day, right? It becomes a bit too much and overcrowded in my opinion but I mean you know there are some genuine sports nuts out there that will watch every single solitary second of it and um, you know fair play to you if you're one of those people but um, yeah I, I mean I, I, I think that does the NFL come back is it tomorrow or today or something like that I, I just don't um, yes I, I don't know and quite frankly I, I don't really care to be honest um, I prefer the the other type of football but um, you know it, it's just um <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of sports going on right now after such um, an uncertain period, Steve, where we weren't even sure we were going to have any sort of sports this year, were we, at one stage? So right. um, I guess you have to give major kudos to, to those that have organised and been able to get sports uh, back into this crazy world that we live in at the moment. Um, just as long as we can do it safely. You know, I know different yeah. uh, areas of the country have different opinions as to what safe is. Um, but I think... Um, 
you know, it's ultimately it's a good thing, Steve, that we've we've got uh, we've got sports back and, and we've got soccer back as well. I'm excited the Premier League returns this this coming weekend. Um, so yeah, naturally, there's lots of storylines to cover. Yeah, let's talk about a couple storylines uh, from soccer, our own sport. Uh, we're going to go over the Real Salt Lake win and the FC Dallas win, probably sort of mashing some of those together because obviously there's uh, a couple storylines that are sort of through lines. Also, they happened within 72 hours of each other. So um, the Real Salt Lake game, let's start with that. This really, you know, this really felt like a game where um, – this had to go well after dropping three straight. You know, this is one of those moments of like, um, you look back at seasons um, once they're done and sometimes you can see inflection points. It's sort of hard to see them necessarily during the season. Um, Maybe this isn't one, you know, who knows what happens in the future. I remember this distinctly with like, 2018 2017 was such a, a roller coaster ride. No one really knew what to expect. 2018. I remember very distinctly the wheels coming completely off the bus when uh, Minnesota United lost at home to Seattle uh, in the last minute, like gave up two goals or something within the last five minutes of the game. And that was really, when you look back, you're like, they never got it back after that. And so this really did feel like one of those games where like, it's going to be, a, it, it needs to be a get right game or the, this could be, this could be really bad. And it really was, I sort of thought my expectation coming in is, is based on how the team had performed that, that, a, that a get right game might be more like a two, two draw. Um, something a little more along the lines of the offense starts clicking, but the, maybe the defense falters a little bit in that moment and, and you get a draw and a hard one point, but we got a lot, we got a lot more than that out of, out of Real Salt Lake. I got to say. I think at that stage, Steve, you were just looking for, for anything remotely positive because there, there was such a dour and dire feeling within the Minnesotan camp that it was, um, it was to the point where I think it was starting to get a little bit desperate. And I don't say that lightly either, you know, because um, I agree in the sense that, you know, that there were there were several issues with the side at, at, at that particular stage. And, and what I thought was interesting, Steve, is, is yeah, there, there were comparisons to, to 2017 and 2018, which, which weren't the best years of this club's history. So um, that's when it started to get a bit worrying for me, when, when there were comparisons, and not just from people having a conversation about it, but statistically there were comparisons as well. Um, yeah. That's when it started to get a little bit concerning. Um, and a response was needed, and my word, Minnesota gave a response, you know, but um, it was, it was what was the, the stat I saw, that Minnesota had lost four games in a row in all competitions, um, and it was the first time that had happened since October of 2018. They'd never lost five in a row since coming into Major League Soccer. And, and had they have lost that game against RSL, I, I, I do wonder um, what sort of changes would have been made um, on the roster, you know, in terms of the starting eleven and whatnot, you know, because uh, at that stage, you, you sort of, as the, as the coach, I'm assuming you're scratching your head saying, well, I, I don't know what else I can do with this group of players, you know, because it's not like there was, you know, a, an abundance of absentees as well heading into that RSL game. Um, no doubt there were a handful uh, of impactful players and players that would have started, but the majority of the roster was still put together. Um, and then we found out about Ethan Finlay getting the injury. We found out about Alan Schoenfeld getting the injury as well and, and a few other players that were unavailable. Um, but look, at the end of the day, um, Minnesota responded in the best way they possibly could have done, Steve. And, and I'm going to put the majority of that um, on, on the Argentine shoulders of Emmanuel Reynoso, who, who has been... Um, 
I, I think he's been sublime since coming in, Steve. You know, there is a reason, there is a, a firm reason why those around him are all playing so well and scoring goals. And you, you think back to it, Steve, and, and the, the sort of confidence that Mason Toy didn't have in front of goal. Him sticking a goal away against FC Dallas last night was was fabulous. But prior to that, you know, the best example is is Robin Lurd, isn't it? You know, he uh, he was not himself. He was not confident whatsoever. And all of a sudden, he starts playing with somebody who may very well understand his game. And he grabs himself two goals. And I thought had his best Minnesota United game. So, um, Emmanuel Renoso was just so clever, Steve. Just in between the lines, he's fabulous off the ball, dragging people out, out of position and... Um, I, I feel as though as well he calms things down and, and he's so patient as well because in the past when Minnesota break forward because they are such a high-pressing team there has been a bit of an element of a helter-skelter type thing it's like right go 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 and, and Reynoso actually just grabs everybody by the scruff of the neck and just says let's just calm this down we, we don't have to beat them on the press all the time let's just if you guys want to press that's great because that means more space for me but let's just calm things down, you know, and we'll get through eventually, you know. Patience is a virtue here. Let's just calm things down. And I think that's been evidence over the last two games. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into Reynoso a little more deeply, Cal, in a little bit. I think let's, um, let's start with a couple of things uh, about Robin Ludd also, because I thought that um, that Real Salt Lake game was very big for him. And I think that the um, – I think playing with Reynoso, obviously huge. Also, I mean, I think that, that shift to the right, obviously he'd been playing on the left. The right is, is he's – He's a very uh, sort of unassuming guy. Generally, when you when you talk to him, he's never he's not going to throw anyone under the bus. He's always going to say, "I play where the, you know the, the coach wants me to play, and I feel comfortable on either side." But it just seems super obvious that he's much more effective on that right side. Um, you know, for whatever reason, I think that it doesn't mean he was ineffective on the left side. He's sort of um, again. I think he was. He's gotten a lot of grief, um, which Adrian Heath also also alluded to after that game, um, because of expectations of, of what he should be doing. I think he's been solid, if sort of not spectacular generally, but um, it just seems like with that that system that that Adrian likes to play, Kyle, with the the, the fullbacks pushing up. Um, having guys who, who move in and then are on their, you know, they have their their more comfortable foot, I believe, as Robin said, on the inside of the field. Um, you, you've seen him unleash a couple of those left-footed shots um, that going for the far post as he cuts in and and allowing, um, you know, Metonier to get on the outside and send crosses in. Obviously, that paid off. Um, we'll talk a little bit about there's a real beauty of a goal against FC Dallas, and we'll talk about how all those pieces came together for that in a little bit. But, you know, it just looks like that that – Ludd in that position is is doing fantastic. Um, he's doing he's doing great work. Um, I wanted to also touch on. I don't know if you had any more to say about Ludd. You already said a fair amount. I want to touch on Dane St Clair, but let me know if there's any Ludd. Did you want to have any response well, to Ludd? Yeah. So, so so the thing about Robin Ludd is is look as you quite rightly said already, Steve. He he, he is responding very well to playing on that right hand side. The one thing I'll say is it, it probably took a little bit longer to figure that out because of the form of Ethan Finlay. Um, I, I think it was very difficult to drop somebody like Ethan Finlay over for, for Robin Lord on that right-hand side. So, okay. um, in actual fact, the, the injury of Ethan Finlay has, has given Minnesota United a bit of an opportunity moving forward. And, and obviously, it's a shame that Ethan has gotten himself injured and obviously we want him back as quickly as possible. But um, this is the thing about having a roster as deep as Minnesota have now. Um, you have to ask yourself, when Ethan Fenway comes back and is fully fit and available, does he automatically get back into the starting eleven? I, I don't know if that's the case. So, um, 
you know, I think that that's why it took so long um, to to get Robin Lode out to that right hand side. But but as you said, he looks very comfortable. He tucks in very well, as does Molino on the opposite flank as well. Um, playing with these inverted wingers has given Minnesota United uh, a new lease of life. I think it's given the opponents something more to think about because the wide threat still comes from two very aggressive fullbacks as well. So I think it's um, it's given Minnesota United uh, new ideas. Um, and as I said, when you've got somebody like Emmanuel Reynoso in between all of that, um, that, that mess in midfield, if you will, um, I, I think this is probably um, one of the one of the better spells in terms of um, from a footballing point of view. I, I, I don't remember them playing as, as well as they have done and, and playing like they do right now. I don't remember a spell, Steve, in the MLS era where they've played like they do now. So I, I would suggest moving forwards, um, the possibilities are a plenty for this side. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with you saying that, I'm thinking back to it. I mean, obviously there's been stretches where last season, um, you know, the team was undefeated for for quite a long stretch there. Um, but a lot of that rested on the defense, um, you know, and and then taking advantage of of goals where they came, you know, beat beat FC Dallas last year in one of the most dramatic games, 1-0 one, one um, with just a last-minute goal by Mason Toy and then at that penalty save by the legendary at this point penalty save by Vito Minone. Um, you know, the, the, this... I think that that front four um, in terms of, you know, individually, uh, you know, I think Mason Toy is is getting more comfortable and getting more confident. He's still got a ways to go. Reynoso, obviously, his fitness has still got uh, a ways to go, um, which is amazing to think how much of a difference he's already made. And he's you right. know made maybe 85 percent of the way there. Um, but that, that, Steve. <laughs> what was that I don't even think he's that. Yeah, I don't think he's fit. Yeah. I think he's just 70%. I think we've got so much more to come from Reynoso. Yes. I was saying, I, I, I was judging physical fitness um, rather than like a, a chemistry with the team. I think chemistry with the team, you're talking 70%. Everything. Everything. Yeah. I, I think we're seeing 70% of it. Okay. So, so that, that interaction among those four players is maybe the most fluid it's been in the last, the last couple of games. Let's go to the other side of the field, Cal, and talk about another debutante this week, um, Dane St. Clair. I guess these past two games feel like they were in a week. I don't know if you count Sunday. I'm a person who counts Monday as the start of the week. So Dane St. Clair and (laughs) Dane St. Clair uh, in net. Um, Let's first of all, just what are you, what are your feelings about the early returns on, on Mr. St. Clair? He's obviously young. I believe he is 22. Um, And uh, goalkeepers, as we know, tend to have long careers. Goalkeepers tend to season in a way that means that they're, their peaks, uh, in a lot of ways, are later um, than than other players, um, because so much of a goalkeeper's job is it blends quick reaction and athleticism on the moment with a lot of game sense and and, and where to distribute the ball, when to hold on to it, all of that stuff. What do you feel have been the early returns uh, on Dane so far in these these last couple starts? First and foremost, uh, let me just congratulate Vito Manone on a move to, to Monaco. Monaco. And that was, that was uh, reported earlier on today. So congratulations to him. Um, fabulous place to play and not a bad place to live either. So well done, Vito. Um, <laughs> it's very nice. I've been there once. It was great. <laughs> um, in terms of Dane St. Clair, Steve, um, I think it's, it's, he's, he's perhaps the most confident of the bunch that Minnesota have available to them at the moment. And, and I spoke to the goalkeeping coach, Stuart Kerr, about this. And, and he said that's the main reason why they actually put him in because he has the confidence of a number one goalkeeper. He thinks like a number one goalkeeper. Whereas I think Gregory Ranjit Singh has, has perhaps got the mentality of a number two goalkeeper. 
Um, and what I what I mean by that is is that um, you, you see little bursts from him that that are good. Um, but I I wonder if he is as as consistent as as Minnesota United need. Um, I think Blanchard Singh's a very good goalkeeper, and I think he can do the job when um, when he's called upon. I I think that the games that he played in, I thought he did okay. Um, there wasn't anything particularly spectacular. There wasn't anything particularly frustrating either. Really, I, I just thought he was solid. He was okay. Uh, there were one or two that I thought he perhaps should have done better on one or two goals. But apart from that, I I didn't see much issue at all. The question is, was he enough to last the majority of the season? And I think the coaching staff saw more opportunity with Dane St. Clair. And, and what I mean by opportunity, I think they saw a chance to develop him in what is an anomaly of a season, let's be completely honest here. And we don't know when we'll get the chance to see Dane St. Clair um, through this period again, and as much as we expect to see him now from, from now to the end of the season. Because to my knowledge, they're not looking for a goalkeeper. To my knowledge, they're okay with what they have. Right. Um, and, and they should be. Um, I thought Dane St. Clair on his debut started, um, uh, he was a little nervous. Um, I, I still cannot believe... Um, Let's be honest, the mistake that he made um, when the shot comes in from Giuseppe Rossi and, and, he, and he spills it and it goes over his head and, and he allegedly keeps the ball out. I cannot believe that's not a goal. Um, there's absolutely no way that is not a goal. Um, I know there were things drawn up and people saying, ah, oh, well, you know, this, this, this and this. No, it's a goal. Like Dane St. Clair's a very lucky boy there. Yeah. But sometimes you have luck on your side. Um, and... Um, you know, I, I thought on, on the other side of things, I thought he was incredibly unlucky for the second Dallas goal last night. You know, he, when he when he clawed the ball away, it was, it was just behind the line. Um, but I thought he was really unlucky in that situation. So I, I'm a big fan of Dane St. Clair. Uh, and, and I know that they, they view him as somebody who is eventually going to be the number one at this club. I just think right now they've been forced to give him the opportunity um, be, because of several different things, obviously the injury to Tyler Miller being the, the main issue. Um, but I like him, Steve. He, he's full of confidence. He thinks like a number one. He's got the, the mentality to, to go on and play several games. Um, he, he's consistent. Um, and, and I think, like I said, the main thing with him is that he is confident. He will come for things and, and uh, come, uh, come off his line for, for catches. And, and he will be commanding. Uh, I know, uh, was it Michael Boxall said he's very, very vocal Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. It's exactly what you need. Um, the communication is clearly there already. Uh, it still might take a game or two for us to see the, the best version of Dane St. Clair. I know we played some games in USL and was very good. I believe it was three clean sheets in five games for San Antonio. But, but moving forward, Steve, again, I would expect Dane St. Clair to be the number one uh, for the rest of the season. Um, his, his opportunity has come much earlier than he ever thought it would. So it's up to him now to really grab it and, and say, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this number one um, jersey for the club moving forward and, and make it really difficult for Tyler Miller whenever he's available to come back. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, with, with, with Dane, you know, obviously sometimes just throwing, throwing somebody out there, throwing him at the Lions is, is the best way to just see what you've got. Um, if he's not necessarily who you're going to have as your number one keeper right away, this is a great showcase for him to, you know, go out on loan. If that's, you know, like it's just someplace other than the USL, you can go to Europe, you can go to other places um, with, with a higher profile and, and get more experience there. And if he's, you know, the, the fact that the mentality is such a big part of it, Cal, is interesting because I think it's one of those things where you say you give him this opportunity and whether 
if he grabs it, then that's part of what you want in your keeper to begin with. So it's almost the opportunity itself is kind of a test. And then the results of the games, you know, you're going to live with it. I, you know, I had noted here the goal he saved against RSL and the one he didn't against FC Dallas because they were sort of both on the line. The, the FC Dallas one I thought was interesting because it's one of those instances where there's, um, there's a lot of Dane Sinclair. He is, he is a big goalkeeper. And that goal, it's like you can debate whether it's in or out or like, you know, whatever. It's like just the fact that he even got that one mitt all the way over there if, to be in a position like a lot of goalkeepers just wouldn't have even had the, the reach and the length to get over there in the, to begin with. So um, the, the one he the one he, he quote unquote saved against Real Salt Lake was I mean, we were all up in the breast box. You know, we're all socially distanced. So but man, when that happened, we were like, I that's I um where's the goal line technology on that one? So um I'm gonna go with the 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 Twitter account that posted that it was still out by eleven sixteenths of an inch and just say uh, good, good on him. Uh, let's talk about you. You mentioned Chase Gasper and the aggressiveness of the fullback. Let's talk about Chase Gasper's first MLS goal, um, which was tremendous. Uh, just because I really root for Chase. He's been on the podcast, um, I think, more than once. He's been on the podcast a couple times, and um, he's such a, a, a nice, uh, generous, thoughtful, kind human being who also just goes all out on the field and is super aggressive when he's playing. And so there couldn't have been a more fitting goal than for him charging into a pile of defenders and get it in there. It was, it was great to see him get his first goal. And just lashing it towards goal as well. There wasn't much composure about it. He just put his foot through it, which is fabulous. And very yeah. reminiscent of him, as you say, Steve. Yeah, delighted for him. And he came on our post-game show on Fox Sports North as well and was just beaming as well. You could tell he was just so, so happy. And, um, it's just not something you expect from him, is it? From any left back, really. And, and I know in, in the modern day version of, of soccer, it's um, it's, it's more um, more of a thing that you see now is the fullbacks overlapping and, and gallivanting forward and being involved in the attack. But you still don't expect them to score goals. So it was great for him. Um, I thought he took the goal really well. Um, and I, 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 as you say, that there's there's so much to like about Chase Gasper. He's just a really lovely bloke, and and obviously wants to do well. Um, works his tail off. I don't think I've ever seen a, a fullback work as hard as Chase Gasper. Not not only on a match day, but also in training as well. And um, just delighted for him. You know, it was really really good. Uh, you know, I'm going to credit Kevin Molino as well for the intricacy of midfield to to find Gasper as well. But. Um, you know, credit to Gasper, it, it just shows his maturity. It shows how much he's he's come on and, and learned since coming to Minnesota United, working under the coaching staff and um, knowing his role, understanding what he has to do. Um, and look, there's a reason. There is a reason, Steve, why he was called up to the national team in February, you know, and, and played against Costa Rica. So um, I, I'm a big fan. I, I think he's, um, he's going to be a big part of Minnesota United moving forwards. The one thing I will say is that I think he needs a bit of a breather. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> in the games prior to, to RSL and, uh, and Dallas, I thought he looked a little rusty. Uh, and, and looks very tired. Uh, so we don't know if Baki Dibasi will, will come in and, and play uh, for him at left-back. We have no idea at the moment, but um, he, he is the epitome of Mr. Consistent. It, it's only him and Michael Boxall that have played every single minute for Minnesota United in, in the regular season this year in Major League Soccer. So it's, um, you know, uh, I, I think he's a tremendous servant to Minnesota United. And, and if he plays his cards right, he could be here for 10-plus years. Yeah. And shout out to Michael Boxall also, who I think has been defending 
his his rear off basically um and maybe going a little under the radar uh for that over the last couple of games but stepping in as captain when when Ozzy came out injured and in that game against Real Salt Lake and then and then being the captain last game he's um just one of those steady guys and he's a rock and when when the when the games are defensive he stands out a little more when they're a little more uh, attacking as these past two games were maybe goes under the radar but but doing a fantastic job let's um let's transition to FC Dallas a little bit uh because you brought up the question of 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 rest and rotation and that's one thing I wanted to address because uh, at least for right now until we hear otherwise Ramon Metzanier is on a red card so he's not going to play so you're down a right back you'd love to get a little spell for a chase uh, uh, at left back um, probably going to need Hassani Dotson in the midfield still um, what do you uh, what do you foresee happening as far as as the chances of Bakai Debasi who came on for his first MLS appearance for the last eight minutes or so of the game. Um, obviously his, uh, his fitness isn't there, at least according to Heath yet, you know, he's still working on that. So chances of, of Debasi being in the starting 11 at this point for FC Dallas, what do you say? Uh, you mean for the game against Kansas City? You mean? Uh, yeah, sorry. I, it's, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm looking at my FC Dallas notes. I'm talking about the game against Kansas City. No one knows what day it is, Steve. Don't worry. I know. Um, no, I, th- I, I think, it, like, like you said, Steve, if he was match fit, then I would have said put Debassi in at, at left back, no problem against Kansas City, give Chase a, a breather. I think what's probably going to happen um, is it'll either be Marlon Hairston or Hassani Dodson going to right back. Um, for Minnesota United and uh, if, if Hairston goes in at right back which he, he did a number of times for Colorado and Houston Dynamo um, then I would see Ja'Cory Hayes coming into the centre of midfield um, if, if uh, Dotson is at right back but, if, but if, if Hairston's at right back then Dotson would just stay in the centre of midfield so I, I think there's going to be a few changes either way Steve just because again because of the, the aggressive and brutal nature of this phase one part of the season with so many games um, within three or four days of each other, you know, and particularly for the road games as well. I mean, it, it, it's really tough. It really, really is. Um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me. The one area where Minnesota United are short, obviously, is is a centre-forward, where Mason Toy is legitimately the only centre-forward that's available on the roster at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, because we don't know the the extent of Aaron Schoenfeld's injury, um, if he's available, which, who knows, if he is, if I was in charge, I would put Aaron Schoenfeld in now, which which might be a little harsh on Mason Toy, but I'd put him in because it allows you to play a little more direct. And I think that's okay to do that in Major League Soccer on the road. In any league, really, I think mm-hmm. it's okay. It's acceptable. You, you're not expected to entertain on the road, you know? So, um, because let's be honest, you, you would take a point now from Kansas City if it was offered. So, right. um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Schoenfeld is available... Um, if he was to start and Minnesota went a little bit direct, which, which is against what Adrian Heath likes to do, but but it does make complete sense on the road in this league. So um, we'll wait and see. I uh, Again, I wouldn't change anything with the three behind the forwards. Um, again, I'd just continue to integrate Reynoso as much as possible. Um, Robin Lord is, is obviously um, on an upward trajectory right now, so no reason to change him, in my opinion. Uh, Molino may very well need a little bit of a rest, but... Um, uh, Again, for me, I, I I wouldn't change much at all. So um, it, it, it'll be difficult, Steve, to, to change things around. The, the main areas and, and the main adjustments will, will, will be, as we've already insinuated, if Metzenier is suspended, I, I have no idea if the club are going to appeal it or not. But if he is suspended and out for the game in Kansas City, I would either expect Marla Hairston or uh, Hassani Dotson to be at right back, meaning it'll either be Dotson or Ja'Cory Hayes in the centre of midfield alongside Jan Gregish. 
Yeah, the 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 continue the combination of dealing with the the quick turnarounds on these games and then the injury stuff, you know, which is going into FC Dallas was a big story because Dallas also was missing five or six guys, including Fafa Pico, who had done so much damage against Minnesota United before in the game before. So, you know, I find it interesting if you look back, you know, if you sort of look back to before the 2019 season and what everybody said Minnesota United needed, um, the sort of transformation of the team was due to adding Icopara and Ozzy Alonso and Vito Minone primarily. I would say that, that sort of spine. And then this offseason, um, you know, moved on from Vito uh, and got Tyler Miller, which was, which was a, a, a great boost at goalkeeper, um, you know, in terms of getting another guy who could step right in there. And then adding that attacking component in Luis Amaria. Now all of those positions are out. Like your starters for all of the sort of like the first choice guys and all those, the, all those guys are not in plus missing Ethan Finlay. Um, it, and it's, I think it's a testament to how the team has, because those are the, the sort of marquee moves, uh, these players. And obviously you can see how important Ozzy Alonso is to just the feel of the game, not necessarily. I mean, the team has still obviously had success in the last two games, but it was, it was noticeable against Real Salt Lake when, when Ozzy came off, how different the Real Salt Lake attack suddenly looked when it didn't have that, that guy clogging up the middle. Instead of sort of having to go around it, they could play through midfield more. Um, you know, those guys obviously all make a difference, but I think it's a testament to how the team has been built around those guys as well, that there's so much more quality now to step in and, and take over when there are issues. Yeah, and I say this with all due respect, Minnesota United aren't forced to to bring on Ishmael Jom and, and the players like Bashkin Kanti and whatnot of the past, you know. And, and France banged up. And, uh... Yeah, and look, I mean no disrespect when I say yeah. that to those players because they've gone on and, and played elsewhere and, and, and are professional footballers, so they're good players, but yeah. they just didn't work out at Minnesota United. But um, the, the quality of, of the roster has improved uh, humongously, Steve, over the course of the last couple of years, and then particularly... Uh, the last 12 months. Obviously, 2019 was the big change when the spine was added, as you mentioned, and, and then the pieces around it, the supporting cast were very good as well. Um, and and it, is, it, it does say something, the fact that Minnesota United had five players out last night that, that you would consider regular starters. Um, you know, Tyler Miller, obviously unavailable. Ico Parra, uh, unavailable. Um, Ozzy Alonso. Ethan Finlay and Luis Amaria all would start for Minnesota United and be considered regular starters. And yet it didn't feel as though Minnesota United really missed a beat. So I, think, I think defensively there were one or two question marks. Sure. No doubt. I, I think Tyler Miller and Ike Opara aside, I think both of them would have, would have added a little more defensively. But um, from an attacking perspective, Steve, it, there's not much missing really. Um, and that says a lot. Uh, that really says a lot. I, th- I think the, the technical staff really uh, really should be commended for what they've done so far. Um, and, and look, I, I think there's going to be more to come as well, Steve. I really do. Um, I, I spoke to Adrian Heath uh, the other day before the game, and, and, he, and he said to me, you know, that there are one or two deals in the pipeline. That they're trying to get a few new bodies in simply because, as I mentioned, there are several bodies that are unavailable, and, and we don't know the extent of the injuries. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if one or two deals got done um, over the course of the next week or so. Um, so we'll wait and see. I mean, uh, I, I would expect deals to get done if they are internal MLS trades. If they're international deals, then they're going to take a lot longer. But, um, you know, I, I, I think there'll be there'll be some news um, 
perhaps next week at some stage. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see because again, it's difficult, isn't it, Steve? Because traditionally we, we would say right now that it's a long season for Major League Soccer, but we really have no idea what phase two is going to look like. We have no idea if it's going to be phase three or what playoffs look like. We have no idea. So why would you take the risk? You know, bring in some bodies if it's a possibility because we really don't know. Yeah. Um, we, we keep hearing there's going to be a couple of games announced over the next few days about what, what phase two looks like. We've heard all sorts. It could be three games. It could be 12 games. We, we don't know. So if that's the case, why risk it? Just bring in some more bodies if you are light at the moment. Uh, and I think that could happen in the, over the course of the next few days. Yeah, I think that – have you ever seen on, on Twitter people be like, you know, what's – say something that will let people know you've been kidnapped and that things are not normal. And I think it would be like – Asking Adrian Heath and be like, we're not trying to bring anybody in in this window. Like, <laughs> that's always one or two guys out there that they're trying to bring in in, in a window. So that's yeah. sort of a, a consistent drumbeat from from the coaching staff for sure, Cal. Um, let's talk about the – I mentioned it earlier. I want to touch on that beautiful goal from Molino. Um, and because I think it was – first of all, as soon as it was done, I was like, this this goal is a thing of beauty forever. Like it's really – beautiful ball movement. Um, you know, what happened is that Molino got the ball under a little bit of pre- pressure, released it to Lud. Lud sort of cut inside again, as we were saying, sort of his, he likes to cut in from that right side and then got it to Reynoso who was, again, you saw the quality of Reynoso's play because he, he sort of dragged as everyone else is going into the box and he just sort of stood, you know, he's pushing forward and then he kind of slowed up and he got the ball and just touched it right out to Roman Metinier on the wing. Again, who's overlapping um, from that fullback position. And suddenly there's just a wealth of, of things for him to look at in the box. And he sends it right back to Molino, who, who just hammered it into the goal. It was just one of those things that you can see how having Reynoso, I want to call it Reynoso particularly because we'll talk about him that, as that fulcrum um, and that sort of sense of the game and awareness of, of what his options are. And not necessarily always doing something difficult but doing some of the simple things um, well that, that, really, that really make the game easy for the people around him. Yeah, it was beauty, wasn't it? It was beauty in footballing form. It was, it was such um, a lovely flow to the goal. Um, and like you said, Reynoso really was at centre stage. But uh, Molino, we have to give a ton of credit for because he started the move and finished it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, Steve, you know, and, and as I might have alluded to a little earlier on, you know, Reynoso just adds so much to this side when the majority of them want to push and press. And, and he's happy to, to be involved in that initial move, but when everybody else is pressing, he just drops back a little bit and says, let's just calm this down, give me the ball, and I'll find somebody. And I, I, I thought it was, I think I might have said vintage Minnesota United, because it's exactly what it was. Uh, it's, it's what Adrian Heath and the coaching staff have, have wanted to do for a long, long time. Um, and I think they've, year by year, they've gotten closer and closer and closer. But but now, Emmanuel Reynoso really is that the last piece of, of the jigsaw in terms of the three behind the forward. Um, I still think they could probably do with with a uh, another centre-forward um, who can put the ball in the net on a regular basis um, and to add competition. But, um, you know, in terms of the, the three behind, um, it, it's about as complete as it's ever been, Steve. And uh, it's a joy to watch when they're in that type of form. And, uh, you know, Roma Mitanier obviously offers so much on the overlapping run as well. Um, I, I think, as I said, Steve, I think it's the best football Minnesota United have, have ever played in Major League Soccer. It's, it's, it, it's perhaps... I'll make a bold statement here because I, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's um, too outlandish. I think it's, it's probably the best team goal Minnesota United have ever scored. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of a better one. I can't think of a, 
the, a more beautiful team goal um, where yeah. it has been exactly what they wanted to do. I, I can't, you know, and um, it's a good sign, Steve, moving forward. It really is. Um, everybody on the same page, everybody um, willing to run, getting behind, uh, having players knowing their roles as well. Not, you know, not having players run into the box looking to score the goal. If players know their roles, they know, right, I'm going to drop a little bit here. Right, I'm going to stretch the right back out a little bit here. Right, I'm going to overlap here. If people understanding their roles, you know, and... Um, I, I, I thought it was fabulous for Minnesota United, and, and quite frankly, we'd like more of the same moving forward. Yeah, I think it's I think it's no coincidence, Cal, that that Minnesota United has had more of the possession in the last two games, which they generally have had. And we've talked about this before. When they hit like that, they get like thirty five percent of the possession. They've won a lot of games, 40 percent of the possession. Sometimes with more of the possession, they have not done so well. It's not a coincidence that Reynoso has been in the last two games and they've had more of the possession and won those games, I think. Um, It definitely seems like he allows them to play more confidently in possession. Um, I was noticing that he's he's really good at um, avoiding that first defender, making a defender miss, and then moving the ball up instead of square or back. You know, like it's 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 inevitable to compare him in some ways to Darwin Quintero. Um, obviously, as we've said before, Quintero was more aggressive, more goal oriented, a little more second striker in that way. You would often see um, Darwin taking on defenders and making a defender miss and then trying to make another defender miss and another defender miss. And if he got dispossessed, he would sort of get out of, you know, he's like, okay, well, now I got to wait until I get the ball again. Reynoso feels much more like he's going to make one guy miss. And then as soon as that forces other movements, he's looking to move the ball off to somebody else. And, and I think that was, um, I was saying to um, Tyson Hill, who I sit next to um, at games that, uh, you know, Minnesota has had, I feel like his struggle getting both dynamism and consistency in one player. And obviously we're talking about um, a, a couple of games so far for Reynoso. So, you know, I don't want to jump way ahead of myself, but you know, we've had some very consistent players. I think again, like with Robin Lud, who's looked better recently, but overall it's like, he's, he's good. He's fine. Um, and then when some creative ones, Darwin is one of them, Kevin Molino is one of them, but the consistency of sort of contributing at that level all the time has not happened. But Reynoso holds forward that promise of being both dynamic and creative and seeming to do it consistently. And that's, I mean, that's a huge lift for the rest of the team. Reynoso just oozes positivity, Steve. Yeah. He always wants to play forward, as you mentioned, which again, I, I'm not entirely convinced Minnesota have ever had a player of his ilk that, that will want to do that, you know. Yeah. But no doubt Darwin Quintero offered that from time to time. No, no doubt, you know, we can't completely ignore how good Darwin Quintero was for Minnesota United. He's looking great for Houston right now, also. He's in one of those runs of, you know, like. Right. They're getting a glimpse of, of the Darwin Quintero that Minnesota United saw, but perhaps not as often as, as they needed to. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, as I said, Steve, like I'm a massive fan already of Emmanuel Reynoso. Um, I, I think he's the, the missing piece that they've they've lacked for a long time, um, and he, he just offers so much. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do, you know, over the course of the next couple of years. You know, like he's 24 years of age. You know, he's only going to get better. Yeah. Um, and and what what he does is 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 he lifts everybody around him as well. You know, I think I might have I've put it on social media that there's a reason why the players around him have all scored and have all gotten better. You know, yeah. Two goals for Robin Lerd against RSL. Two goals for Molino against FC Dallas. Oh, and Mason Toy, who was lacking confidence big time, also scored as well. So there's a reason for it. Um, and, and I know that there were other players involved in, in the setup of, of particular goals, but 
more often than not, Reynoso has been involved in the build-up. And Reynoso has done something off the ball that's really played its part, you know. So right. he, he's, he's, uh, he's a massive part of, of the team moving forward. And as we expected, Steve, you know, we, we knew when the pursuit was as aggressive and as long as it was, we, we knew there was a reason for this. We knew that, that the team um, were doing this for a reason and um, they, they could have quite easily have just said a long time ago, we're okay, thank you. We, we, we need something now. You know, we've got to get this done. You know, no doubt COVID-19 played its part in, in putting a halt to the deal. But in terms of all the issues that they had to deal with in terms of agreeing a fee and everything and, and whatnot, um, which happens in every every deal you put together with, with any team, um, there were several times that Minnesota United could have simply walked away and said, we're, we're okay, we'll, we'll go and find something else. Because there are plenty of players that want to come and play here and want to come and play Major League Soccer. But the fact that that they were as um, stern as they were uh, as they were in their stance to, to bring him here, and the fact that Reynoso himself wanted to come here, I, I think that speaks volumes to, to where this league and where this team is going. So uh, early days yet, but so far so good. The early signs have been extremely positive for Emmanuel Reynoso, Steve, and I'm expecting much more moving forward. Yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to move on to eventually. We'll get to SKC. I wanted to go around the league a little bit. Something we haven't done recently. That's yes. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things that I was interested in. Uh, the the first one mainly is that um, LAFC have not have not looked like the LAFC we are used to, and there's there's reasons for this as far as injuries to Carlos Vela and and Eduardo Atuesta. Um, also, Atlanta United have not looked that good, and they have now sold Pity Martinez, obviously for a, a, a pretty penny, pity for a pretty penny, um, which I'm sure they're going to reinvest into getting someone else who 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 can help them. But you know, Pity's tenure at Atlanta was not covered in glory, I would say. Um, and then just some powers, like I was thinking about how Red Bulls were looked at when MLS, when MNUFC came into MLS, like in 2017, and how Red Bulls were like, they're going to stop you every chance you get. They're going to high press you to death. They're going to do it. And they're a shell of that team that they were back three years ago. And so I, I, I just sort of find it interesting now that I've sort of been involved with MLS for a couple of years now and that I, I'm sort of finding myself asking questions about um, – you know, American sports are founded on on the idea of dynasties in a lot of ways around teams like the Yankees in baseball or the Patriots in, in football, the Spurs in the NBA, and then sort of legacy teams as well, the Lakers in, in basketball. There's there's a lot of them. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, obviously, this season is very weird, and so I'm sort of a little hesitant to draw huge conclusions given how strange it is. But, you know, if you think about Toronto falling off um, after looking fantastic, uh, Sporting Kansas City's form last year, uh, and then these sort of examples from it, from this year. Is it is it just possible that MLS is not going to be a dynasty generating um, league? You know, because of its position in world soccer, um, you know, its position in American sports. You know, there's a lot of talk about it being a selling league, which obviously there's some things that go each way. But is it more like is it more a cyclical structure where a team rises, they have you know maybe some homegrowns or they they sign a big player. But then they move those assets to, to to sort of restructure their team a little bit. And then there's this reload period of sort of like, you know, figuring out how these things are going to go and then getting back into it and trying to move back up to the top of the table. Because Toronto obviously bounced back. You know, they had they were a great team. They had a horrible season. They bounced back. Um, between things like the Cups, you know, that plays a huge part in a regular season. The You know, the sort of – that was a huge part of Toronto's swoon was, was, was that, you know, early season Cup play. Um, is it possible that we're just not, you know, the MLS is not a dynasty creating league in the same way that some other American sports leagues are? 
I think, Steve, the, the only the, the only one I can think of in Major League Soccer that, that you would consider a, a dynasty would, would probably be the LA Galaxy. Uh, you, you could argue DC United back in the day, but, but the league has changed considerably since those days. Um, and, and to be fair, so... Uh, has it in the sense of, of when the Galaxy were perhaps at their best as well in, you know, that 2012-13 type, uh, type of, of, um, of spell. That, that's probably the closest I can think of in terms of, of dynasty in, in Major League Soccer. Um, but it, it's, built, it's built on parity, isn't it? The mm-hmm. league is built on parity. Sure. Um, which I, I think is slowly disappearing, by the way, and that's okay, that's fine, because what, what it'll do, once the parity does disappear, Steve, it'll force the hands of, of the owners with all the money to have to spend um, on really good players to, to be able to compete, and that's a good thing in Major League Soccer, in my opinion. Coming from um, overseas, obviously, I, I still find it quite bizarre that the worst team gets the first draft pick um, <laughs> in American sports, um, and, and I... I I will never understand that, um, but I, I, I get the point of, of wanting to keep things um, as consistent as, as they have been in 25 years in terms of the parity. But, but I just think the, the, the face of the league is changing, to be honest, Steve, and I think it's, it's catching up with the rest of world football. Um, and, and it has done so aggressively over the course of the last couple of years, um, whilst Minnesota United have, have been um, in the league, uh, more than it ever has done in the past. So... Um, I, I still think there's room for a dynasty, no doubt. Um, but first of all, we have to also define what, what a dynasty is in Major League Soccer. When we say a dynasty, Steve, are we talking about multiple MLS championships accompanied by Open Cups and Champions Leagues? Because it's so different to, to every yeah. other American sport. So, you know, I, I would consider already, you know, I think um, Atlanta United have, have obviously flirted with, with that particular term already. Um, certainly in that market as well, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, but uh, to my knowledge, the other teams in Atlanta haven't been great for a, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could argue already that Atlanta are, are, have undergone a, a, a little dynasty. Um, but I, I just wonder what it what it'll mean going forward for the league. And, and like I said, Steve, in, in my opinion, um, the parity is slowly disappearing in Major League Soccer, and that's a good thing because it will force... Um, owners and and whatnot to to go and invest, which ultimately could lead to, to better players coming in, thus meaning more potential for a dynasty. <laughs> yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see, Steve. But um, I, I I still I still don't understand the the whole draft situation. That that's puzzling to me. But hey, you know, I'll I'll claim to be uh, to be odd and foreign there, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Well, the draft thing is interesting, and I think it plays into that question of of because the draft doesn't make as much of a difference in MLS as it does in other other leagues. You know, like in the NBA, if you get that number one pick, like the Timberwolves have. Shout out Timberwolves. Um, you know, maybe not for the Wolves this season, but it can be like a a, a era defining pick. You know, which in MLS you just don't see as much. You know, the you know. It's, Top picks can make a, an impact. Occasionally, you'll get somebody who really explodes. But it, um, so much of it is coming from, uh, and especially, and going on, presumably more of it will come from the homegrown side, uh, from youth soccer, and more of it will come from abroad. So um, it, it it does. I'm not sure exactly what part the the draft plays in that. I think the cup thing is also interesting because you know in the NBA, it's like your dynasty is you won the NBA championship three years in a row or something like that. But in in MLS, the greater success 
you know, begets greater stakes for every team, right? Because you win MLS cup, then you're automatically going into CONCACAF. You're automatically doing, you know, so it's like every success you have, like pushes you to put more into something else that isn't the regular season maybe, or, or MLS cup. So you've got the supporter shield, you've got open cup, you've got, you know, the MLS cup, you've got all these different sort of, and then you've got cup competitions beyond that are international. Um, you know, so it, it's, it is a question. You look at Atlanta, you're like, okay, well, you've won the Supporters' Shield, you've won the Open Cup, you've won MLS, like, you've done these things. Um, some of them in the same year. You've, you've had international success. Uh, you look terrible right now. <laughs> like, the team looks garbage right now. But, like, you've had the success. So if you turn around and next season you win, you know, a, one of those cups again, do we even think of this as, is it a blip or is it just non-existent, you know, uh, as far as a, a poor run, you know, if they turn around the money from pity, they get the right, they get the right coach in there. They get another great signing from South America. You know, it's maybe it's just, do you forget about these little things? And that, I think that's interesting. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it is just this sort of this churn, you know, you're like, well, this didn't work. Let's move it for money, get some more money in, get somebody else in. That's not how it works in, in the NBA. You know, if you're a high profile player, you know, it flamed, the Timberwolves had Andrew Wiggins for a number of years. And Rock you know, what was that? Rock Chuck, Jay Hook. <laughs> yes, there you go. Um, it, you know, he never lived up to his considerable billing. I don't know if it's potential or if it's billing, but he certainly didn't sort of end up justifying, you know, um, the early hype about him. They weren't going to turn around and sell him for $20 million to a European team, you know, which is what you can do with, you know, a, a Pity Martinez or something like that. Even with the sort of underwhelming, you know, career at Atlanta, he's, he's still valuable on the open market. That doesn't, that doesn't happen in the NBA. So it's interesting. Let's, um, without getting too much more into that, because it's very complicated. Um, I'm just going to say, I noticed this last night and I thought I was looking with a, a filter at the league. Columbus have allowed two goals. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the tweet. Send tweet. I, I don't know what to do with that information. It's one of those things that I was looking at. I was like, wait, do I have this set to like only home games or only? It's like they've allowed two goals. That's insane. It is. It is. Uh, before that, Steve, just quickly, another dynasty I've just thought of. Seattle okay. Sanders. Seattle Sanders. Yeah. All open Cups. Ozzy Alonso at the heart of it. That, that's sure. probably a dynasty as well. Right. Uh, kind of true, yeah. Um, obviously, in preparation for a game, I spent several, I always spent several days preparing and looking at statistics and numbers and whatnot and, and general information. That was one number I came across and I thought, how on earth has that been the case? Because um, that, at this stage of whatever this season looks like, but, but with the amount of games we've played to concede only two goals, my word, you have to be unbelievably defensively disciplined. Um, Alloy Room is a good goalkeeper as well, no doubt, but to concede two goals is is, is astronomical and, and they should be lauded and praised for that, Steve. I think the one difference about the Columbus crew, more more than the version that we saw of them in 2019 uh, under Caleb Porter, is that they keep the ball a lot more. And there is one main reason for that, and he is the best American central midfielder in the country right now, in my opinion, and that's Darlington Knightley. Where's my button um, for holding me? I don't have the button anymore. So I well, but this yes. thing, Steve, I, I wouldn't even identify Nightly as a holding midfielder. I think he's a two-way midfielder. I think sure. he's best served as an eight and, and maybe even a deep-lying playmaker, you know. But but he's um, he, he, he's so good with the ball. Uh, and what was it? The one um, Kendra and I were talking about this, but I think it was before we, we played Columbus. And the, the prior game to it in the MLS's back tournaments, 
his passing accuracy was something like 99.1%. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that tells its own story, doesn't it? You know, he, he's a tremendous signing. And um, the, the only thing I wish, Steve, with, with Darlington now, but I wish he would have gone to Celtic all those years ago and, and tested himself a little more and, and played at, um, at a European level. You know, and I, look, the, the SPL, the Scottish Premier League, is not a higher level than, than Major League Soccer. But, but playing for Celtic, there is, um, there is a certain expectation. Um, you get used to winning. There is... Uh, a mentality that is expected uh, consistently. Um, I, I just wonder what that would have done for him and his career. Uh, and I wonder what that would have done for the national team as well, moving forward as well. Um, now, I know Darlington Nagbe has said in the past he, he didn't necessarily feel majorly attached to the national team, which that's up to him. Uh, he wants to spend time with his wife and family. I, I you know, fair play to you. They feel that's what you want to do. Well done. Um, but I, 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 that's one thing I've always wondered is I wonder if he would have gone over to Celtic and played consistently with, with that pressure. Uh, I wonder what that could have done for him and, and what it could have done for, for the national team. I, we're getting off subject, so I apologise. But I, That's OK. I, I just think, you know, that, that Darlington Nagby is, is one of the main reasons why Columbus crew have been so defensively sound so far. No doubt the back line have, have, have done well so far as well. Uh, but when you have the ball as much as you do and it goes through Darlington Nagby, uh, it, it's not surprising, really. Yeah, I think that uh, Columbus is, is one of my um, tier, my A tier of teams that are not Minnesota United that I like in Minnesota in uh, in MLS. Um, I really enjoy the black and yellow. First of all, it's a sharp looking uh, kit, and they've always done a nice job with that. Um, I think there's also a lot of potential there, you know, with that uh, of players like obviously we didn't, you know, we're talking about defense, but like Zellerion has is a great player, and I don't think we've seen close to like what he can be for that team yet. Um, yeah. And you know, Jossie Zard. Is again is a, is a, is a striker who's more, you know, um, he's not like a wonder goal striker, but like he will take advantage of of the opportunities, and he's he's stepping his game up a level right now. So um, obviously the East Eastern Conference, it's hard. You know, traditionally I would say the Western Conference is tougher than the Eastern Conference. Who knows? This this is so weird, and everybody's just playing each other. We're we're, we're going to play the same teams a hundred times, and then start playing the playoffs, which is going to be weird. So um, let's move on from uh, pure speculation. We're we're already sort of running long here, but let's go with uh, Sporting Kansas City. We talked a little bit about the lineup for Minnesota United questions about who goes where I think that's sort of the big thing to watch for 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 as far as Minnesota United the the offenses looked great the defenses look good there might have to be some changes you know what's that going to do to the team for SKC um, not been having much success recently two losses and two draws in the last four games still uh, sort of up at the top of the Western Conference with um, who's at the top Minnesota United Minnesota United uh, top of the Western Conference um, but I will say that I think that SKC you know, like they haven't been losing big. They lost five two to Houston, uh, which is obviously a thrashing. But you know, the draws were one one draws, a two one loss to Houston. Their road record right now stands at three one and one, which is not a bad road record by any means. Um, you know, they've been missing Polito uh, for some of those games. Uh, I think I don't know. I don't know what his. I lost track of it. I know he missed at least a couple of games. What is? How do you feel about SKC? That they were early favorites for getting back on top with the signing of Polito. They were early favorites in MLS's back, and then they got they got bounced. Um, since coming back to play, um, it's been kind of up and down for them, and then more down recently. I still kind of believe in the special sauce of Peter Vermees. I'm sure you, as as from all you've said, I believe you believe in the special sauce of Peter Vermees, but special sauce. <laughs> That was my punk band in college. Um, anyways, uh, what's your take on SKC, where they are now, and where how threatening – they're always threatening at Children's Mercy Park. But um, what do you think the potential looks like for this game? 
I think they're there for the taking, Steve, although I still am of the opinion that you would take a point now if it was offered. Kansas City haven't won at Children's Mercy Park since March 7th. So whatever is going on right now, it's, it's not as consistent as Peter Vermees would want it to be. Um, they have plunged deep into their roster. They have plucked several from uh, SKC2 uh, and used a lot of the, the youth over the course of the last couple of weeks, which I love. Um, I love the fact that the entirety of their midfield for several games this year has consisted of homegrown players and yeah. good homegrown players as B- well. Busio's looked really good. So. Luca Busio's been great, Steve. And, and, and so this, this is what I picked up on from the last time these two sides played, uh, which obviously was in the MLS's back tournaments, um, and, and uh, you know, uh, away from Allianz Field. Um, the, the, the last time, uh, on that, that game in the MLS's back tournament, I thought Minnesota United were, were great in wide areas. I thought Kansas City, with their abrasive fullbacks, had, had a lot of issues containing several players. Uh, and obviously Molino got the, the late winning goal and, and Raheem Edwards played his part as well. I think I think they struggle against pace, that, that back line. Um, but the, the last game that, that they had contested in at Allianz Fields, um, I thought Gianluca Busio had a, had a fantastic game. But I don't think he was pressured anywhere near the amounts that Adrian Heath would have wanted to. Because what, what's supposed to happen, at least in my knowledge, Steve, what's supposed to happen is when... When Minnesota United lose the ball, and when it drops as deep as it does to Gianluca Busio, who seems to have all the time in the world to dictate and spray passes and go short if he wants to, um, he seems to have all the time in the world. What's supposed to happen is the person at centre-forward for Minnesota is supposed to drop back and, and challenge and, and make it awkward for him. Luis Amaria did not do that at Allianz Field in, in that particular game. Um, and I wonder... Um, let, let, let's assume it's Mason Toy who's going to start in Kansas City. Um, I wonder if if Mason Toy will have that drilled into him over the course of, of the next few days, you know, and and, and uh, the coaching staff say, right, look, we, we need you to be right uh, down the neck of, of Gianluca Busio, you know. So um, I, I, I just wonder what happens there, Steve. You know, I, I, I think... Um, Roger Espinosa offers a lot as well from midfield, even though he's, he's 33, he's, he's still a very good footballer. Um, and they're, they're, they're still quick on the counter. You know, Johnny Russell's obviously a threat and the entirety of the front line is a threat. You know, when you think of the revelation that has been Kyrie Shelton since he's come back from the Bundesliga, um, you know, Alan Polito, um, yes, he's had his injury struggles, but he's still got three goals and four assists. <laughs> um, you know, and, and uh, obviously Daniel Shalloway and, and, and Jason Fernandez offer, offer problems as well. So they are expansive when they want to be, and particularly when they're at home as well. But I think if Minnesota are, are defensively disciplined, I think they can get something here. I really do. And, and as I said earlier on, at the other end of the field, Kansas City, they, they seem to struggle against a back line with pace. So one thing I noticed against Dallas, which it wouldn't surprise me, again, assuming it's the same front four uh, against Kansas City. Um, against FC Dallas, the, the back line, which, which started as a, a back three, which morphed into a back five when they were on the defensive uh, side of things, they were dropping massively because of, of the consistent pressing of Mason Toy, who, who they knew full well could get in behind because he has pace to burn. What that did is that opened up uh, a ton of space for, for the three players uh, ahead of that back line. Uh, which was their mistake. We, we, we saw, obviously, 
Stanley Dotson uh, took advantage of that against uh, against FC Dallas uh, on the road with the goal. And there were several times, I think I, I counted three or four shots in, ju- in just the first half, where Gregush and, and Dotson uh, and uh, Robin Lurd and Molino all had efforts from the edge of the penalty area because Dallas were dropping so aggressively. I wonder, because Kansas City, in my opinion, this back line struggle against pace, if you start Mason Toy again, you have a similar setting there. And, and I expect the ball to be at the feet of Reynoso a lot anyway. But I wonder if that's where Minnesota can get the better of Kansas City, if they do drop a little deeper and there's that space there for Reynoso, Molino and Lurid. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Again, you, you can't count out the wide areas as well. Um, you know, obviously, we're assuming Roma Metanier is, is going to be unavailable um, because of the suspension. Uh, but that doesn't mean Asani Dotson or, or if it's Marlon Hairston pushing forwards um, won't uh, won't provide something moving forward. So we'll, we'll wait and see, Steve. But but to, to, to wrap up and to answer your question, I, I think uh, Kansas City are there for the taking. They're not as confident or as free-flowing as they have been in previous years. Having said that, if you offered me a point right now, I would take it. Yeah, that, and that came up with, um, uh, I believe Adrian was talking about, you know, the two games in the at home that, that were just played um, in the form that Minnesota United were in. If you had gotten four points out of that, that would have been great. Sitting on six points out of those, you get a point out of SKC. That's a pretty good, you know, seven points out of three games. Not a bad stretch. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch, uh, Cal, with as far as, you know, if that forward Mason Toy or if it's Aaron Schoenfeld, if Schoenfeld can go, um, you know, pressing into that that back line, it's obviously a, a, a tactic that um, Minnesota United rode to great success in the MLS's back tournament by blowing up Darlington Nagby, um, you know, and just keeping that that midfielder back there from being able to dictate the terms of engagement. Um, it, it should be interesting. As you said, I think that we tend to think, you know, I said it myself, I said, you tend to think Children's Mercy Park, tough place to win. They have three road wins out of five wins, you know, right now. So it's maybe this is part of the, the you know, just the way that the schedule is right now. Home team, the, the home field advantage is not there yet, I think, for teams. I felt like, I mean, you would think the same thing about Minnesota United. SKC coming to Minnesota United, tough, tough to play at Allianz Field. They won that game, you know. Minnesota United felt it felt a little more like home cooking in the last couple games. Um, I think they were getting used to it, but I think every team is having to adjust to playing in, in venues without without fans. So as that's going on, it's an interesting thing to keep track of just generally. Like how how is this home field advantage playing out? I'll leave it to people who have bigger calculators than I do. I don't. I can't figure that stuff out. So. Well, well the, the thing is as well, Steve, is that there, be, there does become an expectation when you're playing at home to play attractive soccer and to win and to win well. Whereas when you're playing on the roads, there's not that expectation. You can play a little freer if you want to. Um, that comes with risks, no doubt. Um, I, I often think, particularly in this league with the travel involved, you often see teams playing for draws and, and approaching games with um, a more defensive mindset and being a little tighter in certain areas. But it's not that far of a flight. Kansas City is only down the road, essentially. So um, I wonder if... Minnesota will go and play a little more expansive. Um, I, as I said earlier on, Steve, I still think it's okay to go direct, even if you have Mason Toy up front. I think that's okay. Um, but knowing Adrian Heath like we do, I'd be surprised. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But um, as I've said several times already now, Steve, I, I think Kansas City are there for the taking. And uh, it'll be, um, you know, it'll be first against second in the, in the Western Conference, you know, which... Uh, you know, it's usually mouthwatering in this league, and I see no reason why it would be any different on Sunday.
Yeah. Well, we'll be looking forward to finding out. Thanks for joining us for the 111th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Sunday, September 13th at 7.30 p.m. as the Loons head to Kansas City to face SKC. You can watch that on Fox Sports North and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entress. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.